Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, and this is episode number 33, and today I'm just absolutely stoked to be joined by my friend, my pastor friend, my writer friend, Cole Russell Dyke. Cole is a church planner in Des Moines, Iowa, where he pastors the church called Frontier Church, and uh, Cole and I have been able to get connected through the online ministry Dead Men, where I've written some stuff and he's written some stuff, and uh, he's uh, he's a really great writer, uh, by the way. Uh, Cole is a consistent writer for other online ministries too, such as Mockingbird and For the Church, which I'm sure you're familiar with. If you're not, make sure you get familiar with those. But uh, in all of Cole's kind of ministry endeavors, ministry pursuits, he is pursuing uh, God's joy. Uh, that's something that we speak to at length in today's episode, just how God is, seeks to wrestle us and impart his joy into us. Oftentimes that comes through um, by upsetting our dreams and sort of making uh, our limits very apparent to us by reminding us that we aren't God and he is God. And uh, that forces us to rest in Him all the, all the more. And I think uh, this is just such a great conversation between Cole and I, uh, talking about the gospel of God's joy and talking about the ministry of Frontier Church and the ministry that they have there, which is a church that seeks to be the most joyful church in their community, which is something I love and something that Cole expounds on. Uh, but I, I just love this conversation. I loved talking with Cole and uh, talking about the ministry and how he's serving the Lord in the Midwest and how he, as a wrestler, uh, was wrestled himself by God. Uh, I think you're going to benefit from this show. I think you're going to be encouraged by um, by how the Lord wrestles us into his joy. So uh, sit back and enjoy this one. Uh, before we begin, though, uh, today's show is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, which inspires lifelong discipleship and helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word. To find out more about the Christian Standard Bible, go to csbible.com. Now, for our guest today, Cole Dyke. All right, Cole, thank you so much for joining the Ministry Minded Podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? I, I'm good, Brad. I'm really, really grateful that you uh, thought of me for this. I'll be honest with you, man. I've been looking forward to this all week, so I'm excited <laughs> for the conversation, dude. Yeah, me too. I have been wanting to do this for a while, and I'm so glad that our schedules kind of worked out. I don't know about you and where you are uh, in the 
in the United States, but here in Florida, it is gloomy and rainy and gross. So I hope you have better weather where you are. <laughs> yeah, well, so now is actually a perfect time for me to try and do this pitch and convince you to move to Iowa and help us plant yeah. this church, man. So <laughs> like it, right here, it's like 76 degrees. I'm looking oh. at a farm pond in Iowa. So yeah, you teed me up really well for that. <laughs> there you go, man. And maybe at the end you can give me your, your 60 second sales pitch or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's a good segue too. Let's just start right there, Cole. Um, just kind of introduce yourself. Uh, we'll just start with the basics. Uh, just introduce yourself and kind of what you're doing in uh, Iowa and the kind of where you are uh, in ministry there. Yeah. Um, so my name is Cole Dyke, and uh, the most important thing about me, and probably the best decision I ever made, is I'm uh, the the husband of Chloe Dyke. So I'm uh, happily married now for the last couple years, and uh, maybe the second most important thing about me is I I, I help lead Frontier Church, um, which is a, a gospel centered church plant that's located right here and uh, right in, in Des Moines, Iowa. That's uh, well, I guess for now we're we're coming up on two years old. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's awesome. Um, I, I love what you are doing with Frontier Church. You have a really good um, front-facing sort of uh, ministry. Uh, I love the way you guys have set yourself up, and I love to hear what you guys are doing in the community of Des Moines. Um, so let's uh, we can just continue there. Why don't you tell kind of the story of how you kind of came to plant Frontier Church and kind of what how God worked on you in, uh, to uh, pursue that. Yeah, dude. Um, so I was, I was saved my freshman year of college at the University of Northern Iowa. Mm. Um, so I, I grew up in a, in a lovely small family in really, really small town, Iowa, uh, Hampton, Iowa. It's a town of about um, goodness, dude. I think it's 3,500 people, maybe 4,500 people. Um, and if you're familiar with the state of Iowa, um, that, that's just kind of a, a normal sized town in, in the state. Um, so uh, I, I grew up in a family that was just wonderful. Man, I have, I have great parents. Like, honestly, Brad, if you met my parents, you'd be surprised that I didn't come out better. Uh, <laughs> just, just amazing parents. Um, but I, I definitely grew up worshiping the sport of wrestling which mm. I totally understand is not a big sport in like 45 of the other states in the U.S. For some reason in Iowa, it's like a big deal. And in small towns, it's an even bigger deal. So my pop actually, he was a, a state champ wrestler way back in the day, a um, couple time national place winner in college. He ended up coaching the sport for, I think, close to 20 years. So, dude, I was like baptized into that sport. You know, mm. um, when I came home from the hospital after my birth, I had baby wrestling shoes hanging over my crib. So, like, <laughs> like by the time I was like four years old, I was already on the wrestling mat, um, obsessed over the sport, spent my days dreaming and thinking about it. And then my, my freshman year of high school, the Lord um, – he had mercy on me, although it did not feel like mercy. He broke my leg, um, which is, dude, I, so I was listening uh, to your podcast like a couple days ago, uh, particularly the one with Tullian. Mm -hmm. um, if, if any of the members of my local church, Frontier Church, are listening to this, you, you've got to go back to the Ministry Minded podcast and listen to the podcast with Tullian. Um, 
awesome story, man. I really benefited from that. And and you guys had this micro conversation in the middle of the podcast about how God sometimes metaphorically breaks people's legs to show them grace. And like, <laughs> yes. I, dude, dude, I was like, I was in stitches, man, because I was like, yes, but I've also experienced that literally. <laughs> um, yeah. So like my, my freshman year, um, a weekend before uh, high school wrestling season had started, I was like wrestling at national somewhere in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I ended up breaking my leg. Um, which ended up flatlining my wrestling career in high school. I mean, I, I did pretty well in like places state and stuff like that, but I never really achieved that, um, that messianic fulfillment of small town hmm. prophecy. Like this dude's going to be the next state champ for Hampton. I never, I never achieved that. Um, which meant that my senior year of high school, I was really bitter, really ticked off about the sport and totally got burnt out on it and ended up denying the opportunity to wrestle at a couple of different colleges, which landed me at the University of Northern Iowa as just a, an English teaching major. And uh, first day at UNI, I knock on the, the, the door of my new dorm room and my random roommate, a dude named Alec Epkiss opens the door, big old smile on his face, bleach blonde hair, backwards ball cap. And right away I'm like, Oh yeah, this dude and I are going to be friends. Mm. Really? I, I, being a guy with a Calvinistic soteriology and theology, it always cracks me up to think of this guy as my random roommate. Cause like, <laughs> cause like now I have the theological grid to be like, well, it wasn't a random roommate. It was a, uh, it was a sovereign roommate, man. Um, mm-hmm. he was so unique, dude. He was so similar to me is so similar to me, outgoing, talkative, probably more boisterous than what's good for us. He also had a really similar experience in, in wrestling. And even though we had all these similar characteristics and traits, he was starkly different than me. And that kind of that that forced me to ask some existential questions that I hadn't asked before, like, what does this dude have that I don't have? Why does he spend his Friday nights this way instead of spending his Friday nights this way? Um, Why does he treat his girlfriend the way that he treats his girlfriend? Why does he continue to talk about Jesus, gospel, Bible? I'm an Iowan. I'm an American. I get this stuff already. And Mm -hmm. it really forced me into hot water. Um, His friendship and and his presence and his similarities and his differences, like really forced me into hot water. And uh, so maybe for the first time in my life, I got a Bible and began to read it seriously, thinking that I knew what was in it. Like, dude, I'm a Midwestern morality. I get it. Manners. I get it. I'm a pretty good kid. Um, I rebelled in punk music, not sex, drugs, and, and everything like that. And so, like, uh, I was like, okay, be a good person. And and the Lord was just slamming the Bible in my face, um, whether it was theology of sin, whether it was theology of the cross, whether it was what the Bible uh, had to say about demands on sexuality or the hope of the gospel. All these things came to me like foreign obstacles that I'd never encountered before and really made me wrestle with the gospel. So my entire freshman year of college, dude, big questions, um, being ticked off at the Bible, yet being drawn back to it, like slamming it, throwing it away, and then magnetically being pulled back to it. Um, And the only way I can really describe it 
Brad, is that it seems like towards the end of my freshman year, um, through continual exposure to the gospel in my dorm room, um, through gospel exposure, through church events and stuff like that in college, through personal Bible reading, it seems like the Lord just saved me in my sleep. Mm. Went to bed with a year of questions behind me, woke up, Christ is Lord. If he really died for my sins, this, this changes everything. So I really do feel like the Lord uh, just kind of saved me in, in my sleep after wrestling with me for like an entire year. And so right away, um, right after I'd been saved, man, um, the only thing I really knew was leadership, right? Like being, uh, being uh, the son of a coach and a teacher and being in a small community in Iowa, I just kind of like led within uh, the things that I was involved in, whether that was like football captain or like wrestling captain or just smaller organizations. So I knew I liked leadership and I knew that I loved Jesus. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just start a small group because that's what Christians do when they love Jesus and want to lead. <laughs> Dude, I was, I was a total fool. Um, like didn't belong <laughs> to a local church, didn't even have a grid for understanding the importance of the local church. All I knew is I loved Jesus and I wanted to lead something. So I was like, well, what do Christians do? They read their Bibles. Great. So I'll, I'll lead a Bible study. And I was like, what do dudes like to do? And I thought, and this is a serious thought I had, was, well, I like to smoke cigars. So <laughs> I'll lead a small group where we smoke cigars and read, read our Bibles together, and we'll call it Holy Smokes. And <laughs> I, know, I know. It's almost embarrassing to say it out loud. <laughs> uh, and it was... It, that's good though. Yeah, dude, it was youthful, zealous folly. Um, and for some reason, like the Lord blessed it, that thing grew to a handful of us. Um, we decided to multiply that thing. And, you know, by the time I was a, a sophomore or a junior, there were two different groups. And then by the time I was like a junior or senior, there were like four different groups, like 50, 60 college students who were kind of underneath a loose umbrella of my leadership, all pretty much disconnected from a local church. So um, the Lord had allowed me in the folly of my youth to really enjoy starting new things for the Lord. And then I fell in love with the local church too, my, my senior year. Um, so since I had been in high school, like I was a big punk kid. Like I like punk, I like hardcore, I like metal, which is totally anti-establishment. So the, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? So like the first couple of years I walk yeah. with the Lord, I was very much like, hey, love Jesus, but I'm suspicious of the church. I don't think I ever would have gone so far as to say, love Jesus, hate the church. But I was suspicious of the local church. Um, then, just to be honest with you, like read some John Piper, listened to some Matt Chandler, fell in love with the local church, but was just convinced of Jesus's love for his bride through passages like Ephesians 5. Looked at this Holy Smokes thing and I thought, okay. This probably all needs to die if it's not connected to a local church or at least feeding into a local church or uh, nourishing and flourishing the local church. And so I just kind of we scrapped it all and encouraged people to get involved with local churches instead. Um, but that was still in the back of my mind, like love that entrepreneurial ish impulse of starting new things for the Lord. And then kind of hmm. somewhere in my senior year of college. Uh, some of my friends were like, hey, maybe do you think sort of maybe you're called the church planting? And dude, I had never heard of church planting before. 
So mm-hmm. it was through my exposure to, you know, Chandler and Acts 29 that church planting started to become more and more common vocabulary in my life. Um, but I had zero exposure to it. And then uh, right after my senior year, uh, I graduated with an English teaching degree, knew I wanted to coach wrestling, knew that most coaches were teachers. So I got a position at Cedar Falls High School right there in the same town that I went to college at uh, and started teaching. And, and right at that time, there was a, an Acts 29 church that planted in Cedar Falls. Um, was just falling in love with the local church, so I wasn't quite committed to a local church. So I thought, hey, this would be sweet to check out. So I went and checked it out, and there were like 20, 25 people on the ground floor. And I just loved the experience of starting something from the ground floor up. So pretty early on in my, my membership at Redeemer Church, um, I started to think, hey, I love starting new things. I love being a part of this church plant, Um, love teaching, love local church. Maybe God is calling me to a church plant. So I brought that before the elders at Redeemer Church, and they were like, "Um, maybe, Cole, how about you become a member first? I was like, like, oh, yeah. So maybe before I plant the church, maybe I should become a member. And so I, I was a faithful member at Redeemer Church and about, uh, eight, 10 months in, they said, Hey, um, we love what we're seeing. We love the Lord's work through you. If you are a church planter, then you'll be able to, with our help and training, plant a community group. So a small group. So, um, let, let's do that. And so Chloe and I launched a community group and that went well. And the Lord blessed that. And they said, Hey, if you're a church planter, you should probably be able to not just start a community group, but even multiply it. So we multiplied that into two. And then in our second one, we multiplied into three community groups. And so the Lord was just kind of working through us in such a way that he was, um, it felt like he was giving us his amen to the call of church planting. Um, so at that point in time, I was about a year and a half into, into my career as a, an English teacher at Cedar Falls High School, and I loved it. Um, so for the Lord to call me out of English teaching and into church planting meant that he had to kind of twist my arm, or I guess at least twist my affections into it, because I was definitely not one of those guys who was like, man, I am not satisfied working a, uh, an English teaching job. I, I can't do the whole nine to five thing. I could, I enjoyed that stuff. Um, but, uh, the Lord forced this conversation between me and the pastoral team at Redeemer of, Hey, we think you're called to church planting. You think you're called to church planting. We think the time is now. What do you think? Um, so Chloe and I, you know, thought about it, prayed about it, argued about it, conversed about it. And we just felt the presence of the Lord's yes in our life to, to such a high degree that I resigned from English teaching at the end of my second year, then jumped into church planting with Redeemer Church. Um, and my experience at Redeemer Church has helped build in me a, a serious love and conviction that it takes the local church to plant a local church. Like, believe that from the bottom of my heart um it takes the church to plant a church because my experience at redeemer was awesome um so it was it was two years long and it was pretty intensive because um i'm actually not a seminary guy which meant that i needed a lot of one-on-one exposure with the lead planting pastor of redeemer church which i got which was profound man um so my first year there full-time was simply eldership training 
So for, for a year-long process, for 12 months, I had to read 12 different books on 12 different theological subjects, you know, whether that's a Calvinistic soteriology or complementarianism or um, a missional church versus uh, attractional church, 12 different theological subjects that I had to write 12 different essays on and have 12 different conversations with different pastors at Redeemer Church about. That was, uh, dude, that was indispensable to my training experience. Um, and throughout that year, I basically got to also be quiet in the presence of godly leaders in the local church. So on top of that, uh, I got to sit at the table with the pastoral team and basically watch without any sort of vote what it looked like to, to pray for the local church, to counsel the local church, to teach to the local church, to make decisions for the local church to argue about the local church and to argue faithfully. I got to watch all of that right before me for like a year. Um, and on top of that, I got to go into different various counseling settings and basically be a sponge with more talented, older, more godly pastors than me. So at the, at the end of that year, uh, the Redeemer pastoral team said, hey, uh, it's a resounding yes. You're called to be a local elder here. So for the next year, you're going to be an elder at Redeemer Church. And we're also going to put you through a, a 12 to 14 month program for church planting residency. So again, uh, the lead pastor of the church just took me under his wing um, for 12 months, 12 different theological subjects, 12 different essays, 12 different conversations. Um, and all throughout that time, uh, a different sort of nut and bolt underneath the hood of church planting, right? So, hey, Cole, you're a young fool. Here's what it looks like to develop and have a philosophy of ministry. Or, hey, Cole, this is what it looks like to incorporate with the state. This is what it looks like to create bylaws. Here's the use uh, and the function and the how-to to create a pastoral statement of faith. So, dude, my... my my two full-time years at Redeemer Church were amazing and uh, really something that I, I would love to, to replicate uh, one of our frontier church plants. So at the end of those two years, uh, my wife and I fell in love with the city of Des Moines, um, took a very small core team with us, and then basically hit the ground running. Uh, we moved to Des Moines, and here's what we knew. We knew we wanted to to plant a church that had a heavy emphasis on communion. Um, so there's this whole like chicken or egg discussion within the church planting world of, do you launch the big gathering first and, and then kind of do small groups from that? Or do you do small groups first and let those build to Sunday gathering? And unfortunately, like the Bible doesn't provide any sort of like church planting manual for us. Instead, it gives us the the faithful story of God's people on mission with God's gospel and how that plants churches. Um, so there's not really a right or wrong answer to that question, but we knew that we wanted to be a communal church where when we worship together on Sundays, we were worshiping as a family and not just a collection of strangers. So it seemed really obvious to us that we wanted to start out by planting community groups. So basically missional communities. Um, so for the first Gosh, dude, I think it was six months at Des Moines. We started a community group that launched into two community groups. Then from those two community groups, we planted Frontier Church with a, a Sunday gathering. Um, so for the first year, we met at a, uh, a rock club. 
which was awesome. <laughs> it gave us our bearings. It, it taught us what um, corporate worship with the people of God looked like for us. We got our feet underneath us. Um, but pretty quickly, our kids uh, outgrew the kids space that was available to us at the Rock Club, which was not much. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, we just sort of got tired. It was cool um, to be on mission in a place like this, but we, we sort of got tired of picking up and scraping off tobacco off the floor on Sunday mornings. <laughs> and the experience was great, but we were just kind of tired of throwing away joints on Sunday mornings. You know, we had like, we had a bunch of kids crawling around there on Sunday morning. So we outgrew that space and uh, we, uh, we relaunched at a jazz club in town, which doesn't sound a lot different, but it's totally different. Basically we quadrupled our kids space and we have a cleaner worship facility to be in, which is where we're at right now, dude. So that was a really long way of telling you how I planted Frontier Church or how we got involved with that. But that's kind of the sweetness of the story. <laughs> No, that's awesome, Cole. And um, I love your story. I love hearing kind of what's been going on with you. And I love the story, like exactly what you said about how uh, God literally had to break your legs. <laughs> and um, I just think it's so interesting that uh, the way, the different ways that God draws us, uh, you know, I think one of the cool things doing shows like this and talking with guys like yourself is, um, yes, the same grace is the is the same that saves us, but it, it, it manifests itself in a lot of different ways, and it's really cool to see how God drew you to himself through that. Um, I, I'm so glad you covered that. I was going to bring it up anyways, but um, and I love the story of you planting Frontier Church. It's cool, and it's amazing to hear how God has blessed and worked in your life uh, through that ministry. Um, one of the awesome things, you know, if you go on Frontier Church's website, I think one of the coolest things uh, about your church, I believe, is that um, one of your core foundations of your church is God's joy. And actually, it's one of the t- core tenets of your church is that you, I think it says somewhere, that you aim to be the most joyful church in your city. Um, I just think that's a really cool thing that is not you know, on a lot of other churches. Can you kind of explain that mission and why it's one of the sort of core um, tenets of your church? Yeah, yeah, man. Um, so I'm glad that you find that life-giving. Um, yeah. So, so <laughs> theologically, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I've, I've been deeply influenced by John Piper and everything that comes along with, uh, mm. well, not everything, but most of the stuff that comes along with the doctrine of Christian hedonism. I'm, it, it, it makes sense for me personally. Like I've always been a pretty excitable guy. Like I'm pretty tightly wired. I'm sort of like a, a spring that's been pushed together really closely. Um, joy and delight have, have always made sense to me. And, and so when, uh, when desiring God and Christian hedonism basically took a highlighter to the Bible and, and held my hand and showed me how God doesn't just tolerate our happiness, but in fact, he demands our happiness and he even distributes it within his own character that in the, in the presence of the Lord is, is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Um, dude, that, that just gripped me individually and like existentially. It really justified a lot of the things that I felt bouncing around in my soul. Like it's okay for me to be a Christian and to be happy. Like it's okay for, I'm not a freak for always wanting to pursue my joy 
Like I'm not a freak for always wanting to find happiness in the Lord. Um, and so it really validated me individually and experientially in a way where it just made sense um, when I when I read it in the scriptures. Um, so theologically, I think it's such a, an important doctrine that people know that just to rip off desiring God straight up, that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. I think that's key. Um, and so one of the reasons why it's one of our three goals, because we only have three, like it's not like we have like 20 or 100 goals. We only have three. So it's got to be a really important goal to make it within those three buckets. One of the reasons why it's uniquely important to our local church um, is that for some reason, Frontier Church seems to be a bed of rest and a blessing to people who have been burnt by other local church or exhausted by other lo local churches or just kind of tired out by their church experiences. And um, I'm a local church guy, man. I love the local church, but it's no wonder. Um, if, you, if you look at a lot of the ways that local churches have a tendency to behave right now, um, it's no wonder why people are, are burnt out on their experiences, because I think that implicitly there's usually one of two goals that are driving churches. And I don't think I don't think churches would come right out and articulate this. But I think underneath most churches are one of two goals. Goal number one is we want to be the biggest church in our city. This is this is not bad at all, man. Like um, the, the size of a church is represented by the amount of people that are in the church. And and, and, and we all want people to, to come and know Jesus and to hear the gospel. Like, it's not a bad thing uh, to want to be the biggest church in your city. I, I honestly don't think that. Um, but if that's your, your singular goal and your driving goal, then you're, you're going you're gonna to overstep what God demands of us from mission. And you're going to exhaust your people by putting a burden on them to try and grow your church through pyramid schemes or or even missional strategies that are just going to burn out people like jesus is so clear that my yoke is real but it's also light um and, and if you and if you attend a lot of local churches you, you would think that jesus is a heretic because the yoke that the local church can put on people is sometimes a lot heavier than the one that jesus puts on people and it's, and it's no wonder if 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 you're mainly driven to become the biggest church um but there's a second goal over on the other side that I think is equally prominent in most local churches and is definitely prominent within the Reformed missional movement, which is the movement that I identify most with. Love the Reformed missional movement. I'm a part of it and I love it. Um, but a lot of times the goal over there is to be the smartest church in your city um, and, and to rightly focus on deep doctrine and to rightly focus on theological um distinction and and theological clarity and and using the correct technical jargon which i love to do right i'm an english teacher guy i think names matter i think that jargon matters i think that words matter all these things are good um but sometimes you can prioritize um um systematic or technical theology in, in such a way that Sometimes your church ends up sucking at mission or, or sometimes mm -hmm. they end up just kind of being bad at reaching out to people or sometimes they're just not that hospitable. Um, and, and so that's sometimes the fault that happens when your goal is we want to be the smartest. 
Uh, and so pretty early on, when when God was drawing burnt out people, like, dude, if you worshiped at Frontier Church, we are not a big church plant. We're shy of two years. Depending on the Sunday you're there, you might see 80 people. You might see 120 people. Um, as a young adult church, we, we fluctuate on Sunday morning. So we're not a big church. Um, and so I'm not the smartest pastor. And I'm not the most effective pastor. <laughs> and I know that the church plant that I lead is not going to become the biggest church in the city, not by a mile. And it's not even going to be the smartest church in the city. And the people that God is bringing to us, I think they would get burnt out if one of those two goals drove us. So I thought, what if the way we answered that question was, we want to be the most joyful church in the city? Because when we, um, when we pursue joy in Christ, we end up pursuing deep doctrine because we have to know more and more about the person that we're so joyful about. If you aim for joy, I think you get doctrine. If you aim for doctrine, maybe sometimes you don't get joy. Um, and I know that if we make joy in the Lord uh, our goal, then the, the heart is a, it's a step on trash can. That's what the heart is, uh, Brad. Like, um, whatever has most weight in our life hits our heart like a lever and our mouths pop open. That's the way that joy works in our life. So if we aim for joy in the Lord, we're going to talk about him. We're going to be on mission. We're going to share the gospel and we'll experience healthy gospel church growth as a result. But if you only aim for growth, you might not get joy in the Lord. You might just get burnt out. So I, I just, I think that wanting to be the city's most joyful church is, is restful. And I would 100% agree with that. And I love um, that that is the tenet of your church from the standpoint that that's, that's how you're, of course, any, any pastor that's, you know, in a church or planting a church, they, it, it's a, it's a misnomer. It's a lie to say that you don't want your church to grow. But I think how certain pastors go about that, it kind of reveals what they're after. And if you're just after numbers, just after growth from that standpoint, then you're kind of revealing uh, sort of the, uh, your, uh, the, the, the truth of your heart that you're after sort of maybe like a platform or something, that, a success story. But if you're after God's joy, then you can – well, number one, I think you're going to build a community that's much stronger in the faith. But I think like what you're saying, it's it's building a restful community because you're not under the pressure to make sure that you're having these numbers uh, fill up your Excel sheet <laughs> when you're recording your attendance. Um, so I think that's a very wise, uh, a, a very wise and a, um, admirable goal for a church. Yeah, man. Yeah, it, it, I think that the Lord has really used it to bless our local church. So I'm, I'm glad you find it wise and admirable. That's a, that's a joy to me. Yeah. Well, and I to uh, just to go back just a tad bit. Um I again, I I really like your story. I think you mentioned your story of God breaking our legs in one of your sermons on Psalm 51, which I have enjoyed uh going back and listening to by the way. Um and I think it would be safe to say then now that you you're 2 years into this church plant, um it would be safe to say that you are in a much different spot in your life than you thought you would be. Is that correct? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> and I just would like to kind of hear um, how God has kind of morphed your heart from being a 
teacher slash coach to being a pastor. Um, what are some ways that you think God has changed, transformed, altered your whole kind of uh, frame of mind from being someone that is wrestling to someone that has been wrestled uh, by God? Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's money, man. Somebody who has been wrestling to somebody (laughs) who has been wrestled by the Lord. Uh, Yes. You can still do that. That's fine. Yeah, I'm totally (laughs) going to use that in a sermon (laughs) illustration. (laughs) um yeah so there have been some significant things that have happened that the lord has used to kind of put me in a chicken wing um to sanctify Mm. me more and more into his son's image um i'll give you one example um when i transitioned out of uh english teaching and into to full-time church planter preparation um I, I went through a, uh, a church planting assessment um, in Chicago that was a two-day long assessment. Um, my wife and I had a wonderful experience. We got to sit in, uh, in a room with, uh, with uh, four to six pastors within that network who basically had been reading my mail for the last 10 months, right? I filled out like a, for 10 months, I filled out an application um, you know, different theological distinctums, philosophy of ministry, how I would handle certain certain issues within ministry. Like I, I'd, I'd filled out the entire thing, man, and they had read that. So they knew who they were in the room with more than I knew who I was in the room with. And for those two days in the church planning assessment, my wife and I felt so understood, um, so cared for so peered into so counseled and so known we loved our experience in this church planning assessment and we felt like it went really well so it was a a surprise to me a big surprise to me when a couple months later i got the phone call and the assessment came back and i had actually failed the assessment brad um they said we're not going to admit you into membership right now um and they they had a, a slew of of praises and encouragements for me. And they also had uh, a couple distinct reasons why. Um, Among those reasons why were a couple reasons like you're a young man and you have not experienced sufficient failure to lead a church that's going to be filled with failures. This worries us. Um, And bro, nobody had ever talked to me like this before. Like, like, seriously, nobody had ever said to me, hey, the reason why uh, we're not going to let you do this thing um, is because you haven't failed enough. I was like, what kind of like upside down kingdom talk is this? Um, and so, dude, <laughs> I was profoundly impacted by that. And thinking back to it, what a God-given, God-provided, gracious irony. Cole, um, we, Cole, we don't think you have failed big enough and... and quite enough to do this thing. So here's a big failure. And really, dude, it, like it was a big failure for me. Um, the, the local church that was going to plant me had to know about it. Um, there were four individuals who had already moved to Des Moines and were living in Des Moines who I had to go and talk to and share that with and say, hey, you guys moved to Des Moines. I need time to figure this out. I'm sorry. Like, can you imagine how humiliating that conversation was? Um, and I was so well loved in that process, man. And I experienced that 
part of what it means to be a human being is to be an object that other people have to demonstrate patience towards. Whether it was my <laughs> wife, whether it was the church members at Redeemer Church, whether it was the lead pastor at Redeemer Church, or whether it was the people in our core team who had moved to Des Moines and didn't have a church. Um, and so basically I had to bump back my, uh, uh, my, my church planting plan by four months, four months turned into six months, six months turned into eight months. And throughout those eight months, dude, as you can imagine, I, I probably experienced more affection for the Lord and more maturity in those eight months than I probably had in, in my entire life. Um, and the Lord did some Mm. significant things in my life, being a, being a wrestler, um, being a guy who was a part of the reform missional movement, my mentality was very much, let's do fast things as quickly and as famously as possible. Let's plant churches that plant churches as fast as possible, that multiply community groups as fast as possible. And the Lord just kind of slowed that down and said, I love multiplication, man, but I also love health. So maybe mm. slow down what your vision is to plant community groups and plant churches. And so um, as a result, like Frontier Church moves a lot slower than, uh, than I initially thought it would. Our leadership process is a lot slower and it frustrates a lot more of our people than I thought it would. But I think it creates healthier community groups, healthier leaders, um, and a healthier vision for the local church. So that's one significant change. Um, uh, another significant change is as I sort of slowed down and matured in the Lord, I think I got over myself a little bit more and more and began to find more theological affinity with the saints um, and the traditions that had come before me. And so I ended up developing a heart for things like um, confessional liturgy, which really, uh, Brad, are you a part of a church that practices any type of confessional liturgy? Uh, not in the sense that it's part of our corporate worship. I would say uh, we're more of like an independent Baptist church as opposed to a reformed Baptist church. Yeah, yeah. Rock and roll, which is exactly the church that planted us. So I didn't get the idea of yeah. confessional <laughs> liturgy from our, our sending church. It, it was like a, an individual conviction that I began to feel as I, mm-hmm. I kind of grew in things like 1689 London Baptist Confession and how functions or doesn't function within a a local church gathering. And what I started to learn was I'm a young man, dude. Um, Even right now, as I'm, I'm speaking, I'm only 29 years old, which means that I'm going to draw a lot of young men and a lot of young people within my church plant. And one thing that I am certain of is that being a young man or a young adult in the year 2018 means being unrooted. You know, unrooted to a a spouse, unrooted to a local church, unrooted to a theological tradition, unrooted from your family, um, having a low value of of rootedness. So I knew that being a young guy, I needed to think more strategically about healthy ways of more deeply rooting young adults um, who probably have a low view of the local church and a low view of theological tradition. And so kind of out of that idea, I thought, well... um, confessional liturgy seems to be a great practice to root people within a much bigger movement and a much bigger family than just what you're doing. And 
And again, confessional liturgy is one of those decisions we've made as a local church that have frustrated a lot of people. <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, this feels like my grandpa's church or like this feels like my my mother's lifeless church. Or are you guys Catholic? What's going on here? Uh, but but those who have um, tolerated it and stuck with it, I, I think, have found found fruits and have found a place in our local church and have become rooted in ways that maybe they haven't experienced with other local churches. And, and so that that failure actually ended up producing some really great um, fruit in my life. I mean, I think you and Tullian were talking a little bit about this too. And I just read it in a book called The Road to Character that success often produces our greatest failures, which is pride. Hmm. And failures often produces our greatest success, which is humility. I think that's so true. And that's a great, um, great mentality to have. And I love um, the ideas of God slowing you down. God is slowing you down either through breaking your legs or causing you or allowing you, I should say, to fail. Um, I'm familiar with that reality. You know, um, a couple of years ago, I was being very busy in ministries and all these sorts of things. And God uh, allowed me to tear my ACL. And that's something that um, definitely I can look back on now. God was telling me, slow down. Um, you're doing too much. Uh, allow me to do the work for you because you're working too hard by yourself. <laughs> and I think that that's a healthy way to look at ministry, especially, as you know, as a lead pastor, uh, there's a lot of pressure that you can put on yourself. You can start pressing. You can start trying to force and make things happen. And I think God, uh, as you said earlier, he has a yoke, but it's light, and uh, he wants to be the one that carries it. He doesn't want us to kind of get the, the spotlight, so to speak. Um, so I love that he has worked that on you and because uh, I think it will help, uh, especially as you go on in your ministry career, to know that now as opposed to you know, later. <laughs> um, yeah. Another thing, I wanted, uh, um, another thing I wanted to talk to you about was, was um, your writing. I, I have loved to get to know you through your writing on places like For the Church or Mockingbird or Dead Men. Um, I have really enjoyed getting to know uh, Cole the writer as well as Cole the pastor. So uh, talk about how you kind of approach writing an article or a blog and uh, kind of what your philosophy is behind that. (laughs) Yeah, man. Um, So it's actually a little shadier than you'd imagine. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, not, I'm going to explain that to why why I picked that particular phrase in, in, in just a second. Um, uh, but um, when I was a church planting resident at Redeemer Church, um, I wrote a couple pieces that weren't really for anybody. So when you would read the blog, um, if you would read the blog that I had written and you didn't know me, I think what you would think is, Hey, this dude's a pretty talented writer and he's kind of got his, he's got his stuff together. Like this dude really knows how to preach Christ. He knows how to talk about it. Um, but I, I noticed that the people who were close to me when they would read those blogs and it was really just a couple of them felt like they were reading a blog that was written by a guy that they didn't know. Cause like, they knew uh, what it looked like to actually sit underneath Cole Dyke's preaching, which is underwhelming. <laughs> they, they, they knew what it was like to be a friend of mine, which is disappointing, right? Um, and they, they, they just knew me, man. 
and I had written a couple pieces that weren't really for anybody. And so after I planted Frontier Church and um, started to miss English teaching and miss writing and, and knew that God wanted me to continue to write, I knew that whenever I wrote an article, I wanted to write it for people I knew who were close to me. And I didn't want to write like disembodied articles that weren't for anybody and made me sound like I, I knew what I had together. Um, so that means that like everything I write, whether it's for, you know, dead men or like Mockingbird or, or, uh, for the church or whatever, I, I always want it to come out of a, a real experience that I have with my church, which means that most of the stuff I write just ends up coming out of my, my sermons, something that really strikes or impacts, uh, my church and uh, something that maybe I want to expand upon and make even more clear or even more powerful for my church. So literally, dude, everything I write is for my church, which meant that right away, our, our website, Brad, it had its own native blog within it. And mm -hmm. I would write blogs on there. And just to be honest with you, man, like, it, it's not the fault of my church at all, and I don't think it was my fault. But like, my church just wasn't really that interested in reading my blogs. I'm just, not, <laughs> I, I'm just gonna be honest with you. Like, I, the people who are close to me don't think now that's a dude who I want to read his writing and know his thoughts. They're like, yeah, he's just like a pretty normal dude, normal pastor. Um, <laughs> and so, what I learned was, and this is what I mean by shady. What I learned was, if I outsource the blog to like for the church, all of a sudden, like my church members would be interested in it. They'd be like, <laughs> they'd be like, well, if it's good enough for like Jared Wilson, then it's good enough for me to read. Let's go check this out. Um, and so I, I think that's a really cool thing, man. Um, and so I learned that I, I could sort of utilize some of these other platforms in order to reach my church members. <laughs> and so, and so I, I hope Brad, what you've experienced, like, when you when you've read my writing is that every everything I, I write I I try to ask myself like where's the blood where mm. where am I bleeding a little bit where am I being weak where am I uh, confessing where is maybe like the where is Cole giving his gifts and his self at the same time um, so that's that's part of my process I, I I have my wife in my imagination when I write I have the members of my local church in my imagination when I write and I never want to like speak in such a way or preach in such a way or like write in such a way where my wife reads it or my church members read it and think, who is this guy? Hmm. So I, yeah, I think that's really, yeah, I think that's really true and it's really smart and it's a, that's been a process for me um, as well, you know, as I've, quote unquote, found my voice in writing um, because, you know, early on I would have to identify with you a little bit in the sense that I was a little bit punkish in the way I wrote. I was just wanting to be just, you know, sort of uh, deinstitutionalize everything and just be so on the, on the edge when I kind of was, when I had that sort of gospel awakening, so to speak. And, um, so after that, though, I, in the years um, subsequent, I've been able to sort of find a voice, and I think that's still an ongoing thing. But I think that's really important, like you said, because you have to kind of keep people in mind when you write instead of just writing for the um, the uh, writing for like an academic thing and sounding all smart. Uh, you should write for certain and specific people 
And then, as you said, they'll recognize that it's you through uh, what words you choose and, and stuff like that. And so I think that's really smart. That's really apt uh, to uh, put into practice. And it kind of answered my other question. I was going to ask you how much your writing kind of influences your sermon prep. And I think that's really, uh, it's really cool to kind of see that coincide uh, because, as you said, again, it's it's for your church. It's for uh, those people that God has put in your locality. And I think that kind of helps uh, kind of centralize and kind of uh, keep you on mission with what you write, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, man. It really is. And it it really is kind of a, I guess, a, uh, a centering principle to have when you're a pastor and a writer. Because, yeah. When I, if I, if I write and, you know, if I speak or if I take like little conference gigs here and like whatever it is, if I, if I utilize those opportunities in a way that I don't actually have my local church and, and my, my immediate family at the center of my imagination and I begin to like lead and, and write and speak in such a way that it's not the real eye that comes out, then, uh, then I think you can give your local church the impression that they're not the thing. Mm. that they're a means to you being heard somewhere else or they're a means to you being read by strangers in some other place Mm -hmm. Um, and that's that's something that scares the that crap out of me man (laughs) i I do not ever want my my church plant to feel like they're not the thing that's most important to my ministry but getting published is or speaking at this event is Um, like i never want my wife to feel like she was just a means to me becoming a, a pastor. Like she is the thing, man. She like mm. is the center of my imagination. And she is the most important thing that God has given me besides my, his, his very own son. And so I'm pretty, I'm pretty sensitive to that stuff. Yeah, no, that's really good. That's really good. What are some, what would you say are some, um, so maybe some more. I know you mentioned Desiring God and other things. What are some other books that have really influenced you in your ministry as you've been a church planter and maybe even as a writer as well? Yeah, I can I can give you two concrete names off the top of my mind. Sure. Um, and, and both of these names have so impacted me and so influenced me greatly as a result of my own personal weaknesses and my own needs for correction. Hmm. Um, so when I say these names, you'll notice that they probably don't fit with it. Well, they don't fit within the reformed, uh, missional tribe that I belong to. And the reason for that is because they are, um, corrective voices for me and sobering voices for me, not, um, fans of the, the tribe that I'm in. So the two guys that have, have been by far the most influential that I've read, is uh eugene peterson and wendell berry Hmm. so when you read eugene peterson when i read eugene peterson it is definitely not like reading an echo like i'm this pretty high strung high energy guy and when you read a guy like peterson you imagine a guy who has been pastoring for a long time who has a lot of pastoral experience behind him who is just really, really sober and grounded with both feet on the floor. Um, so his, his pacing of ministry, his uh, attention to the little details in his church, the way that he thinks about his church members and the things that he does as a, as a church leader, even though I have theological differences with him, 
have like deeply impacted the way that I think more about my church members. Mm. Um, for instance, I never would have been a handwritten letters to the congregation pastor if it had not been for a guy like Eugene Peterson. Mm. Right. I'm, I'm more naturally prone to I'm be a preacher, teacher, let's develop and train leaders and like, let's multiply them. And, and a guy like Peterson enters my mind and kind of forces me or at least suggests like, hey, what if you also did some small, unrecognizable, unnoticeable things that had very little logistical fruit, like spending time writing handwritten prayers and letters to your church members? So stuff like that is super corrective to my pace and in my own, my own ministry. Um, and the second guy is uh, Wendell Berry. Um, that, that dude, have you ever read Wendell Berry? No, I have not actually. Oh man, you got to give me your address. I'm going to buy you a couple books and send them your way, bro. You got to read it. Um, he calls himself a guy who, who takes the gospel of Jesus seriously. Um, the gospel is not the subject of his writing, whether or not he's regenerated and is on mission with the local church. Dude, I, I don't know. Um, but he, he writes mostly about small town life. Um, mostly uh, about belonging to the local town and to the local community and farming. Um, so, <laughs> so you're you're a writer. So I'll try and bait you into reading by Wendell Berry by saying <laughs> this dude like the, he's like one of the best living writers I've ever read. Just technically, you're gonna get like the the color and uh, the style and the imagination of a John Steinbeck also married with like the simplicity and the terseness of a, of a Hemingway. So you got to read this. Um, but nevertheless, as, as he, as he talks about and writes novels and short stories about what it means to, to belong to a local community and what it means to husband a, uh, farm and to stick with that farm and to care about the soil conditions of the farm and to farm skillfully it's impossible to not read that and also have your pastoring influence and your preaching influence. So those are, those are two guys who have deeply shaped my own writing and preaching and thinking. Awesome. No, I will, I'm going to give you my address after we're done talking today. <laughs> um, Heck yes. um, sort of as we wrap up now, um, I want to ask you the one last sort of question. Um, you know, the thrust of what I do on my website and uh, what I do here through this very podcast is kind of bent and geared towards young guys who are either in or thinking about the ministry. And um, so I would just ask you if you were um, given sort of an audience of young men and were allowed to say one thing to them, what would your one message be to that group of guys? Um. Yeah, that's a really good question, man. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about, and I've been talking a lot w with some of my, my staff guys here or church leaders about the, the concept of limitations. And um, I think it's really good that people talk about knowing your limitations. And I think there's a lot of value and there's a lot of merit in that. And if you're a young man who's in ministry or if you're a young man who wants to get into ministry, dude, you have a lot of limitations you have limitations on experience. You're not going to be able to, to speak into the experiences of um, older church members who are walking through cancer. You're not going to be able to speak experientially into that. You have a lot of other limitations um, 
like like knowledge and you have a very limited intellect um your your skill is very limited like i've heard it said that you got to preach 500 sermons before you even preach a good mm-hmm. one so you have a lot of limitations on you and as much as i like the phrase know your limitations i don't know that it's sufficient because a lot of guys know their limitations and still extend beyond them and just make a train wreck out of their life so i i think the key and what i'd say to young men listening to this is to love your limitations mm. Like, dude, love the fact that your skill is limited. Um, like, don't freak out and, and try to develop your skill as fast as you can. And as a result, ignore and neglect your, your church members or your friends. Like, it, love that limitation and let the skill come at the timing of the Lord. Um, you're limited in your reach. Like, if you're a young man, you just don't have very many people listening to you. You have a really small platform and a lot of people shouldn't listen to you and your platform should be really mm. small. Um, and so don't, it, don't despise that limitation and ignore your wife and ignore your church and try to expand your platform beyond what's appropriate for you right now in, in life. Instead, embrace those limitations. And, and you have to know that limitation is not just God's grace to you, but it's also God's grace for you. Like God has ordained limits upon himself that are now your greatest hope. Like the Bible says that God cannot abandon you anymore. He will not abandon you anymore. And, and that if the Lord had not imposed the, those imi- or limitations upon himself, he might abandon you. But instead, he has chosen to be faithful to you. In fact, the father has promised his very own son to you and he has promised you to reward the son with and he's said i'm not going to forsake you i'm not going to abandon you because by forsaking you i would forsake my very own son so i have chosen you and i have chosen to stick with you and i'm choosing to give you to my son and that's a beautiful thing Mm, amen to that cole cole i just want to say thank you so much for uh taking your time out of your day and coming on the the podcast today I really appreciate it. I, there's a lot I'm going to chew on uh, after today's conversation. So thank you again. Appreciate what you do. And I will be praying for you in the ministry of Frontier Church in Iowa. Hey, thank you, brother. Like I said earlier, I'm really grateful that you uh, you thought of me. And I've really enjoyed reading your writing so far and getting to know you little by little uh, a long ways away here in Iowa. So blessings to you, man. And I'll be praying for you and the Ministry Minded Podcast and Grace Upon Grace and your future Thank you, brother. endeavors, bro. Thanks again to Cole for being today's guest and uh, make sure you read the blog notes for this show and check out all the great resources that are listed there. Avail yourself of those. Um, but that's it for today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you like what you just heard, be sure to follow the show on Twitter at underscore ministry minded at underscore ministry minded. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, uh, on SoundCloud, and on Google Play. Uh, thanks again to the Christian Standard Bible for being the presenting sponsor. And thank you, as always, for listening and commenting and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings. Thank you.